All right, we're, we're back um, for another week from the bench. We are very excited to have a return guest, Rachel Galligan, with us uh, to talk all things Wubble, WNBA, and, and beyond. So, Rachel, how have you been? How's your summer been since the last time we talked to you? What, what have you been up to? I've been good, man. I'm happy to be back. Um, you know, I love you guys to death. Um, it's been it's been an interesting summer, but it's been a good summer. Um, been really busy with work across the board, even with you know basketball not having basketball and then basketball starting a little bit later with the WNBA. But been really busy personally with um, you know my business and, and the international front. So that's been really good, and I feel like I've made a lot of progress from that standpoint. And kind of been grounded, you know, just uh, a, a little more at home time as, as everyone has. And honestly, it's kind of been a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways for me, just personally and professionally. So I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to what the next few months are going to have to bring. Very good. Uh, so let, let's start, let's start down, down with the WNBA. What, what was your, what were your thoughts of the first weekend? And obviously it was huge in terms of ratings and whatnot, but like, you know, just in terms of your, your, your opinion on that first set of games you know how's it going it was um you know it's just been so bizarre and i'm not obviously telling anybody anything they don't know but um to watch it kind of were we going to have a season and then just kind of all the different opt-outs and the medical opt-outs and covering it from a journalistic perspective up until that point as with everything there were so many unknowns and then you know we started hearing about the wobble everyone's calling it they're down in the img academy in florida and just how that was going to look how that was going to work out um, there wasn't a ton of information at first so i think most people were kind of just sitting here waiting for it to happen and waiting for it to start and once training camp started things really started to kind of spill out in terms of how they were operating and um you know, just to have that opening weekend this past weekend. Um, honestly, I, I don't want to sound corny, but I got a little bit emotional. Um, it was, <laughs> you know, it to go five months without basketball. And, you know, we all remember where we were, where they canceled the, the conference tournaments. And then, you know, it broke my heart when we canceled the, the final four in New Orleans this year, because that's a huge opportunity for so many friends to just reconnect and get back together. And, um, so to go without basketball and that is the, my lifeline, um, was, was, was hard. You know, we were tested, I think in a new way, all of us were. Um, so to see that tip off this weekend and to see obviously Brianna Stewart and have an opportunity to continue to see Sue Bird play in her 17th season. I mean, how lucky are we, we get to see that. Um, and just the high level um, of play that kind of kicked off. I was kind of impressed, um, you know, with, with some of those games that first weekend, I thought, um, you know, some of it was a little sloppy and then some of it, you know, like, like Brianna Stewart hasn't skipped a beat since we're coming, returning from her injury. Um, you know, Sue Bird is playing phenomenal now that she's played two games, but, you know, even like Sabrina Ionescu, um, seeing how she's going to transition into the WNBA and how her level of play is going to, um, you know, she'll, she'll continue to get more comfortable throughout the season. But, you know, I thought it was a great weekend. I was, I got a little bit of emotion. I think I was just sitting there like cheesing from like ear to ear um, when those games started. And I've just been glued to the TV. <laughs> um, and really every game that's been on, I'm just like intently watching it. I'm sure that'll fade a little bit because it is such a condensed schedule. They're playing like every single day. And um, that's just not realistic to think I'm going to catch all of them, but definitely excited. 
On the on that, I, I agree with you. I actually thought the games the last couple of days have been been better, been better than opening weekend. It's almost like they're getting their their, their legs underneath them a little bit and, and kind of in, and starting to you know get in the flow of playing together and playing against somebody else and all that stuff. What are your thoughts a little bit on just the, the setup as it pertains to aesthetically looking at it? It's kind of a soundstage. I know they refer, referred to that a couple times in the broadcast, but I mean, from my end, my perspective, it, it, it looks well thought out. It looks like it's, it's not something like odd. It feels like basketball. You know, what's your perspective on, on that piece? Yeah, I haven't felt too weird about it. Um, I was a little bit creeped out with Major League Baseball when I saw the cardboard cutouts in the stands and everything. I was like, it's a little creepy. And then I saw one of them got its head, head taken off with a home run. So um, it, it's interesting to see how different leagues are handling it. I think with the WNBA, I mean, the court looks good. The whole setup looks nice. I like what they've done with the court, with the Black Lives Matter, and, and really implementing the important issues that, you know, we're all talking about right now. But um, the sound, I think, is a little strange. Like, Kurt Miller was out there, like, losing his mind um, on the first game. And anyone who knows Kurt knows that he gets a little worked up on the sidelines. And so it was kind of like you had a personal mic listening to every word he said. So I'm sure, you know, these first few games, there's going to be some adjustments um, in terms of how they handle the sound and at home broadcast of everything. But I think it, it looks really good. And, and I know like a lot of people don't know, but the scores table are not a typical NBA or WNBA crew. They're, I heard they were volunteers. Don't mark my word on it, but there, there are local people who have never worked in NBA or WNBA in terms of, um, operating the scores table. So if you've been watching, there's some issues with that. And um, they've got this huge plexiglass thing in front of it, which I think looks a little, you know, silly, but you know, we're getting used to that as well. But that, that, that is one part that's been a little um, strange. It's just, you know, the adjustment of some of these, these workers down there and people doing the scores table, they're not used to doing these games. Usually that the home team has their typical crew. That's not the case. So there is going to be learning curves with that as well. Yeah, I would agree with you. I caught the game and listening to Kurt, you know, kind of going crazy. I mean, he was losing his mind on the refs in about 30 seconds into the game, which, oh, yeah. you know, was fairly typical, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, I, I was wondering the same thing. I was like, are they going to, like, fix those mics? Because not only you've got Kurt and Cheryl and they're there and, you know, you, you hear everything that they say. Yeah. So you're getting play calls, you're getting everything. So I was just kind of interested to, if you've heard any kind of talk about that. Yeah, but, just just the – I mean, the, honestly, the, the first weekend that I was watching it, I was watching it in a public space. So the sound, I couldn't hear all the details of it. Um, the games last night, which would have been uh, Tuesday night, um, I was watching them from home and I could actually kind of hear, but it felt like they'd made some adjustments with microphones and stuff like that. Um, you know, it probably depends on the network too, who's broadcasting it. I mean, you know, we've, we've got stuff on CBS Sports, we've got stuff on ESPN. And so... Um, I feel like it, 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 it's gotten a little bit better the last few nights, but again, that first weekend, I didn't necessarily get to hear every detail. I could just tell over the sound of the, the basketball tournament I was at that Kurt was definitely making a lot of noise and that, that was just cracking me up. <laughs> so obviously there, we added, you know, WNBA added 13 more games to the TV slate, which was awesome based on the initial ratings. But how do you feel the uh, league is doing marketing the product right now? You know, I, I, in full transparency, I, 
you know, I, this is hard because I have a lot of feelings about the league in general um, and the decisions they make and, and the way they go about things. And I, I always try to look at things, you know, glass half full. Um, I also like to be extremely critical on it. So it, it's a weird space, but I, I do think that we're in a period of time where the WNBA is as big as it's ever been. Um, you're getting more hype around it than we've ever seen. Um, I do think there's a, a growing fan base that, you know, I've been a part of for many years now. Um, so I think it's on the up and up. And I think players like, you know, Elena Deladon and what happened last year and Sabrina Unescu, I mean, that's just a massive force that's now come into the league and she's brought so many with her. Um, so everything's on the up and up. I think social media and different news outlets are beginning to cover the WNBA that we didn't even see a year ago, let alone two years ago. You know, we've got a, a woman's slam now that wasn't in existence you know, a few years ago, the athletic is starting to cover the WNBA with their own team. So it's really grown um, from a media perspective. Well, now I think you've got uh, really utilizing the social media piece and utilizing different, um, not just media outlets, but just different names. They did a really interesting, I guess it was like an Instagram takeover with a few outlets like I forget some, some of them were, but you know, some, some smaller ones, some bigger ones. And um, those media, I guess, whatever following, you know, they had, you know, hundreds and thousands of followers on Instagram. And so then you've got the WNBA on their takeover appealing to a whole new audience. So I think we've seen some really strategic moves like that, that have taken place since they've been at training camp. And that's great. We all probably saw the orange sweatshirts that, everybody and their mother was wearing, um, you know, on opening weekend. So I think that, that really, whoever designed that, whoever was sending out those orange sweatshirts, I think that really um, brought a lot of attention to it. So, I mean, they're, they're doing a good job, you know, it's just, you compare it to other things and it's like comparing apples and oranges, you know, there's still a long way to go. Um, and it's a, it's a day in day out grind to say the least. Yeah, I was definitely tuned in uh, with my WNBA uh, league pass. Yeah. Usually I'm not, you know, we're out recruiting. We're all yeah. we're staying busy. So I've never been afforded the time uh, to actually do so. So I'm kind of pumped that uh, I get to tune in and watch uh, live basketball for a change. Um, speaking on some of the adjustments that need to take place, I'm just going to make a comment before I throw something at you, Rachel. But the first day on Saturday – I kept noticing the officials blowing their whistle and the play continuing. And I'm like, damn, these officials need to get on it. They need to blow their whistle hard. And I almost tweeted it out. And then a few minutes later, I noticed that they had something over the whistle yeah. to prevent spray from coming out. So thus the sound being a little <laughs> altered. Uh, I'm glad I didn't hit send on my tweet or else I would look like an <laughs> But, you know, it's, 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 I was always wondering, like, how that was going to be incorporated, uh, the officials, into live play. Because you're needed, but how are you going to still, you know, take the athletes, uh, their safety under consideration? And so I think they've done a good job there. Um, with the media and, you know, the attention the WNBA is getting now, you know, I was glued to my set uh, for three days. And some of the storylines that, you know, stood out to me, you mentioned Sue Bird in her 17th season. Her and Stewie back on the floor together. Like, they look phenomenal. Like, that's a storyline. Is this, you know, Sue Bird's last year playing in the WNBA? You also have, you know, the rookie of the year debate already going on. Ian Eskew and Kennedy Carter. Like, 
those are some, you know, two really good rookies that are going, you know, toe to toe in terms of for rookie of the year. And then you have, you know, DC who Elena Deladon's not there and they've hung a hundred points, hundred plus points in their last two games. It's like, damn, like those are just some of the storylines that really grabbed my attention just through three days of this. Um, what are maybe some of maybe that we might not know about some very interesting storylines that you might be looking at and uh, following from your, your position? Those are definitely really like the big ones. Um, I think for me, at the LA Sparks is a fascinating one. I mean, that's a really talented team, like just from a star power perspective. Um, the way they ended their season last year was kind of rough. You know, you had some, some locker room chemistry issues and some things that went down between, you know, the front office and Derek Fisher, Candace Parker. So things ended kind of on a really awkward note. I can say that the Sparks have spent a lot of time this offseason just working on that camaraderie, that team chemistry, you know, getting that relational aspect of this team right. They came out and they looked like gangbusters on Saturday, just absolutely, you know, routed them. And then, you know, last night on Tuesday, they, they really struggled, but against a really dominant Chicago team. So I think like LA is an interesting one from that standpoint. Um, obviously, Candace Parker, the, the, the Simone Augustus is playing extremely well and kind of what her, um, kind of what is her role going to be with this start studded team? Um, I think you got to talk about Angel McCautry who was traded to the Las Vegas Aces. I mean, that's just, she came out and looked great. You know, she looked so good and it kind of, I think took some people back coming off a knee injury like that. How is she going to respond? And she's got a real opportunity there. I think with Liz Cambage sitting out and then you've got the combination of her and Angel Wilson. I think this could be a really, big breakout year for for Wilson I mean she's just special um I mean who else I mean Chicago you know they've really been on the up and up they've really trended up I think this is a big season for them to really try to get in that contenders debate and they, they looked like it the first two two games um but can they keep that going how does that look can Diamond to Shields elevate her game to that franchise player level top five player in the league um you know, kind of position, which in my opinion, I feel like she has to do for them to go win, you know, a championship. Um, you know, and then you just got to talk about the youth. I mean, I think for me, you do have a lot of really neat players returning in Sue Bird and, and, and you know, Brianna Stewart, but then you have a lot of players obviously that are sitting out, um, medical opt-outs or chose to sit out. So this is kind of a a wide open season in terms of names that we, we, we haven't necessarily talked about or maybe names that get an opportunity. Um, Maisha Hines-Allen with, with Washington has been killing it. I mean, she's like all of a sudden a point guard, like breaking people down left and right. And I mean, she's just come out looking phenomenal. Monique Billings for the Atlanta Dream came out and, you know, like hung 30 the other day. Um, the other one, the other one is an interesting one. Last night, Jackie Gamelos, who typically hasn't made a team the last few years, but she, anyone who knows basketball understands Jackie's story and the struggle that she's gone through with the knee injuries and, uh, but she's played phenomenal overseas. Well, she got signed on by Connecticut. She came in last night because they couldn't have anybody. I mean, no one was hitting shots. And so she got an opportunity, Kurt put her in, and she's just banging a couple threes, and she got to finish the game. So I think, like, this is a really cool year for opportunity um, and just some players that, you know, we typically don't get to see at the level we get to see um, because of maybe just the dynamic or who's sitting out. So for me, those are the ones that I think um, – 
you know, are, are the top storylines, but also just the youth of a team like the Liberty, um, the Dallas Wings, extremely young teams, but really talented, to say the least. So, so let's, let's put you on the spot a little bit, right? So, so I know it's <laughs> inside, right? Inside of a, the first week. So you talked about some storylines. How will Sabrina end up? How will, you know, Sue Bird and Stewie, like, will they win the championship? You know, so like just for your first taste of it. And, and, and I have a, another question on the back end, but I just want to get your kind of your take on, are these storylines true to what we will see at the end? Because it is going to be a sprint to the end. And so who's going to, who's going to hold up? Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Um, I wanted to make a point just about the season in general. Yes, it's a very condensed season, um, 22 games with a normal playoff format. But at the same time, and we saw that in 2018, really, really condensed schedule, um, players flying all over the country. It was really taxing. So like health played such a huge role in it. Well, this year, yeah, it's condensed. It's even more condensed than 2018. But we're not dealing with the travel issues. We're not dealing with flying from coast to coast. We're not dealing, you know, because the WBA, they don't travel like the men get to do, you know, they're flying commercial. They're, they're, if something happens, they're taking a bus. And that's been a huge topic of just kind of how these teams are traveling. Um, you have seen like some private flights here and there, but it is nowhere near comparable to how the guys in the NBA are traveling. So that aspect I think is a really huge benefit. I mean, they're in one spot, two, two gyms, you know, you, your body can be taken care of from that standpoint. You don't have the you know, just wear and tear from that. Uh, but I do think the health and just um, how quickly this is going to go. I mean, it, like you said, it's, it's not a marathon by any stretch. It's like boom, boom, boom. And it's for everybody across the board. So the, the team that have depth, you know, the team that, that, that can stay healthy. Like you asked about Seattle, I think in my mind, they're a clear dominant favorite just on paper, what they did two years ago. Um, they should win it all. They looked great last night, but can they still help? Can they stay, stay healthy? Um, you know, same thing with like, you know, the LA Sparks or you talk about Phoenix. We haven't talked about Phoenix yet. Uh, we all know when Brittany Griner decides to go, <laughs> they can really go. And I think a lot rests on her shoulders, but what about the help of Tarazi? How is her back holding up from everything? So I do think that um, it's, it's the case every year, but um, being able to remain healthy, and then who can come in and, and step up off the bench. And I think that that makes Washington like a little more appealing to me. Cause I'm like, well, they, they've really shown that they can, they've got some players stepping up and seizing this opportunity. So um, not sure if that answers your question in particular, but I do think that, you know, everyone's just like last night we saw two or three players go down and everyone was kind of just like, Oh no, because what happens? Like say you lose someone, heaven forbid, you can't just go sign someone and bring them down to the bubble you know, there's a quarantine period, then you have to have a, it's a huge process to get someone on the court playing for them. So kind of going to be determined, honestly. Well, and, and so my second question, and I'm glad you brought up kind of the disparity, disparities between, you know, travel men and women, but like, you know, there was so many basketball players on the men's side, NBA, sport in a sweatshirt, you know, who have been advocating. I think it, it really started with allowing the story of Kobe Bryant to be told a little bit and, and his advocacy for it and whatnot. And so, so you know, yes, the storylines on the court are, are very important, but I mean, just that first weekend, 
where there were statements right on on um you know just everything that we're that we're facing um it, do you think do you think that the WNBA is doing a good job with keeping on message with the social injustices that are going on um and will they and with a condensed season what will happen when the season ends what will the WNBA carry on um because you know it is it's going to be shortened it's so shortened that then we're going to go through a whole other what seven eight months before they're able to have the spotlight again and the NBA is going to end now they're going to come back a little sooner so they can maybe carry the torch a little bit but what are what are your ideas on the messaging of social injustice you mentioned black lives matters on on the court and just everything that's going along with that Mm -hmm. how is that going to hold up how it holds up I don't know. You know, I do know that that the WNBA and a lot of the women in the league have been at the forefront, you know, of social justice and um, a lot of the reforms and, and using their voice as a platform. I think that is something that has just continued to grow the last few years of a lot of those women coming forward, using their voice, using their platform, using their, um, you know, kind of kind of just their audience, being able to reach their audience about as women, you know, as women of color, all, everything, you know, and so I think that the players have done a phenomenal job with that um, to start, and that really kind of spearheaded it, and then I think the league, um, you know, has come in and really been proactive, headed into this season, I mean, that first weekend was dedicated to Black Lives Matter, and you saw a moment of silence, you see um, you know, the different things they're doing with the jerseys and on the courts. And I think that, that that's great. You know, I love, um, I think we've done a good job of, you know, talking about it on broadcasts. Um, just to play devil's advocate, though, you know, I, at what point, and I, I'm, this is probably a very unpopular opinion, um, but I did see an opposing view of that, of people who were on, on Twitter or just talking about it saying, hey, you know, you had this little tiny screen of the game going on, and then you had some NBA player talking about his platform while you've got a women's game going on. We haven't been with basketball in five months. Get him off of there. Like, we don't care what he has to say. We want to watch the women play. So I do think there's been a couple things like that that, um, you know, were, were, were a good idea, um, but were they implemented, like, perfectly? Probably not. Um, I think some of those interviews that they've done have been a little – um, lengthy and maybe a little awkward. <laughs> um, granted, you know, the technology and everything we're dealing with, I think you got to give people a little bit of grace with that. But um, I think you have to remember the focus here. And this is my opinion, though, too, like, like, we're, we're here for basketball, you know, it, like, we want to talk about basketball, too. We want to analyze basketball, we want to make sure we're doing a healthy balance of both amplifying voices, talking about the issues. And I do think the league has done a very good job with that. Um, but now that it's here, we got to keep talking about basketball as well. Um, and that was kind of one thing I did see people, you know, just a little bit, maybe just frustrated with was, was the lack of actual coverage of the game. But um, I think I've, I'm just blown away by the women of the league. I'm blown away um, of just how strong they are and um, you know, their willingness to stand for what they believe in. And it's really inspiring to me um, how that, momentum continues once the season is done you know we'll see you know that's kind of been the million dollar question with the WNBA in general you know it's it's such a short little season how do you keep that at the forefront of the consumer or the fans or the viewers minds um throughout the season and 
um, that's always going to be a challenge. So um, I guess we'll have to see about that. I, I think one of the I think one of the things um, that I just because you're media, right? Yeah. Like the whole anthem thing. Like, <clears throat> can we get the right coverage of the facts yeah. so that that was really granted? I think I think it sparks some dialogue um, to put the spotlight on our women and and on the league. But with that being said, you're the one covering this weekend kind of get it right yeah that was disheartening that was really you know it's just it's one of those things where it's like you just feel like sometimes the league or you know people covering the league shoot themselves in the foot you know and it's like was that an honest mistake was that someone with an agenda I don't know I'm thankful that Holly adjusted that and came out and really corrected ESPN but I mean, that turned a lot of people away. Let's call a spade a spade. That made people feel a certain type of way. And that's, that sucks, you know. At the same time, some people might have been about it and been like, all right, look at these women standing for, regardless, the facts need to be put out properly. And that's the job of the media, to accurately relay information, to accurately relay the truth. And that didn't happen there. Um, and so that part was, was really disheartening. And, you know, it, it really kind of it was unfortunate to see certain, you know, political members or high up uh, media people with like Fox news or, you know, other people just coming out with their opinions and it just, they didn't have the facts. And I think that was unfair, but you know, to say the least, like um, it, you know, any attention is good attention. Um, and I think you're, you're dealing with a, a league here and a group of women who are not going to just shy away. They're going to stand up for what they believe in it's, it's a great product. It's a fun product. It's out there. It's in your face. It exists. They're going to be unapolog unapologetically themselves, you know, and, and they should be. And I think in the long run, that is what's being relayed right now, whether you agree with everything they do or not. And to me, it has to be respected because they, they've worked really hard for every bit of attention or coverage that they've gotten. And I would agree with you hundred percent. I mean, obviously the WNBA has always advocated for, you know, players, the league, everybody. And it's always been a very much like, hey, we have a voice. We're going to use it. And, you know, and I think that's helped the popularity of the league overall. And, and that controversy, I would agree with you 100 percent as people jump in the gun to try to create something that's not, you know, it's not there um, just to, to have some defense. Because I think the league and the players specifically have done a great job of not feeding misinformation to, to support their agenda or their thoughts. And obviously when you have people like Maya Moore and Renee Montgomery and Natasha Cloud, Leisha Clarendon, you have people out there speaking intelligently with great information and, and saying what's going on and not being afraid of it, I think is huge. And the fact that they've, you know, let's be clear with what it is. The guys in the NBA have backed up what these women in the WNBA have been saying for a long time. Yep. And that's a huge ally. So, you know, for, for those women and, and it's, and it's fantastic to watch. And obviously, you know, I'm on board. So um, one of the questions I guess I had for you was kind of an inside the bubble, like, or inside the wobble, like what, what, what thoughts or things that have happened or that you've heard of are surprising and are more like kind of what, just what you thought would happen. In terms of like, like, like logistically in the wobble? 
Uh, just anything, you know, I, and I know there's, you know, one of the things I think that was struck by some of the players early on is I think that they thought they would be, you know, sequestered with their team, you know, it would be just their team and they wouldn't really interact with anybody else, but obviously that's not been the case. There's a lot of ways to interact, whether it's, you know, going to the driving range, the swimming pool, ice baths outside, whatever, you know, there's a lot of interaction between the teams. And I, so I think that was surprising to some players, but things of that nature that were maybe surprising that you weren't, that you, that you've heard about that you didn't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it kind of, I'm actually going to Florida here in a few weeks. Don't worry. I'm not going to be out and about. I'm watching the dogs for my parents, but they're, they're, they're not far from IMG Academy. And I'm like, as a media member, sorry, I've got some like fighter planes flying over me. I apologize for the noise. <laughs> Wouldn't be 2020 without fighter planes flying across the sky. Anyway. Um, I, I, you know, I think when they got down there, um, and what I was going to say is I wish I could go, but there is really no media there besides Hollywood. Um, but as, as, as we've kind of learned more about this wobble, if you will, um, you know, they got there and there were some issues. Um, you had some players that took to social media, just kind of, I don't know if it's joking or hating on their own situation. I personally am not a fan of that. Um, I thought that was a little distasteful given the fact that this is unprecedented and you have to give the league an opportunity to try to fix what's going on. I mean, that was a little bit, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, but yeah, you know what, it's your, it's your platform. You want to complain about a spider or something, fine. Um, but as time has gone on and we've asked more questions, you know, while people are physically there, you know, I've heard that the food is actually really good. Um, one of the coaches in the WNBA is a friend of mine back from our college coaching days. And she's like, I really was worried about the food. Like that was my big concern. Um, her husband is not there. And, you know, she's like just making sure that, you know, I can eat all right. And she was blown away by the food. I think that's been a, um, a positive. And we haven't seen really any big complaints about like um, the housing situations. I think they got those kind of fixed after the first few days, first week. Um, but I, I think it's been pretty cool. Like you, like you were saying, like they're able to interact with each other. Uh, I was talking to, to, to someone in the Wubble um, after Saturday and like the game got done and they showed this huge room where they had food and the game was projected up and in the tables you saw Holly Rowe and then over here you had Kurt Miller and then you had, you know, NECA over here hanging out and you just kind of saw this big community space and you kind of get the feeling that it's like a resort type of situation, which I think would be kind of cool. Um, but it's hard, you know, you don't, you can see the best way to do it is to kind of watch videos of the players or watch Instagram stories and stuff of just like, what does it physically look like? Um, but I think what I was taken back by was the level of precaution with the testing, um, how locked down it really has been um, that, and, and you know, some of the decisions that have happened amongst some of these teams, like the LA Sparks have been extremely precautious. Nobody's tested positive. They weren't going to scrimmage anybody else before the season began, but you really do have a bubble here where hypothetically nobody who's, you know, COVID-19 positive can come into that. So it is truly a safe space. And I've heard multiple people tell me they feel safer there than what they do or what they would out in the real world or at home or at their grocery store. So I think they've done a really good job of kind of controlling that um, and continuing to, you know, put the well-being of the players and just their entertainment and, and um, happiness at the forefront. But, you know, information's still coming out and uh, we'll see. But I think the, you know, the, uh, the process and the test, the daily testing um, 
and you know the inability to leave and you know like like if you bring a player in they have to sit here for a certain amount of time before they can even pro project to the next process it's it's a very 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 long ordeal before you're actually on the court with your team and that's that's the part i don't think people necessarily realize and, and I would agree with you. I think there was a report today that the NBA has had no new positives since July 20th. So they've gone, you know, 10 days or whatever it is without um, any positives. And I think obviously we would have heard if there was any in the WNBA because they're playing games right now. So I think obviously that their, their process and everything that they've done is working. Um, I guess the bigger question is, as we move forward is how conceivable is it to have that process on a bigger scale? Yeah. Well, and I know there's been, there's been some testing that have come positive. Um, now I'm, that's not necessarily breaking news, but everyone had to sit back and say, wait a minute, but th they're operating under the understanding that the, these tests are 50 to 60% accurate and they ended up being false positives. So once they were tested again, they came back negative. Then the next day tested again, then they were negative. So there have been some moments where it's like, oh man, but these tests are not 100% accurate and, and they understand that. So just being on top of it, being meticulous with it, I think is um, what they've done a good job with. But yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, I was curious about kind of like the referees, you know, <laughs> them being in the wobble or even the scores table crew, you know, are they in the, in the wobble, you know, or are they coming in from the outside world? There are people who are coming in and out. So um, you got to be real careful with that. Rachel, I kind of want to take it, uh, we, we've drilled down a little bit into some of the specifics, but maybe pull back in a moving forward type of mentality. And there's been discussion, the NBA's made the discussion of, uh, you know, of, of unique scheduling kind of mentality. Uh, in our house, we're, we're massive soccer fans. So we, we love the international soccer game where you have tournaments going on within the same season. Um, we have the MLS doing their tournament right now where they're group games have counted towards their regular season schedule. And now they've moved into the knockout phase where they're basically playing for a million dollars. You know, those games are not counting uh, for their regular season schedule. Uh, we're in the situations where basically we have kind of a tournament going on here with both the, the, the two pro basketball leagues. Do you foresee, is there any going to be any conversation as we use maybe these resources moving forward where these could be platforms where uh, we talk about because our country is so massive, travel brutal in this country. We talk about health and safety of players. Why wouldn't both leagues decide, you know what, we're all going to Florida or we're going to go to Vegas or whatever. And we're going to have a midseason event very similar to what we see in international sport. And now we've just taken wear and tear off people's bodies. You know, you talked about the 2018 condensed season and how that was a grind. This is probably, it's going to be a grind but people aren't, we've all, we all travel a lot. We know what a grind that is. These people don't have to do that. And they're going to be able to do that normal recovery flow like they would if they were on a homestand. So could this potentially be a blueprint where Adam Silver, who's, I'm going to do my own opinion, the greatest commissioner of all time, could use this, these, these, in, these, these pieces here to create the momentum for something like that, where you could see some mid-season type format tournament thing that, gets into that flow so I I think that's a great point I mean I haven't necessarily thought about the long-term um, effects of what you know these decisions or processes that we have right now for certain sports what does that mean for the future um, I think we're, we're all operating in just kind of the now and the uncertainty of now but that's a great point of you know all right well now we're seeing 
the start of the WNBA. Very soon we've got the start of the NBA they've been playing and it seems like it's going fairly well. Um, what does that look like now moving forward? Not even necessarily for a midseason type of tournament or event, but like what does that mean for women's college basketball? We've talked for a long time about having one single location. I know Debbie Antonelli, Debbie Antonelli shot to her and you know, was a huge advocate for Las Vegas and just running the entire, and maybe not the entire, but, you know, a portion of, the, of an NCAA tournament just in one spot, kind of similar to what we do with softball. I mean, that's a really great point. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't allowed my mind to go that far because it's just so hard to plan anything right yeah. now. But I, it, I think the easy answer is, of course, you know, I mean, this is, there's a lot of benefits to it. You know, there, there, there's a ton of benefits to implementing this sort of system in one way, shape, and form across all of sport. Right. So. And, and before you go, Gab, just to follow up, I mean, I just think that you, you brought it up is, you know, at, at some point we are going to have to move forward and think forward. And I think we're all excited about right now that we have sport back. And I know I've talked to a couple of friends. They're like, you know, I was like, you know, at the, uh, the, uh, the, the Vegas, you know, buffet this last weekend where literally I was drunk from sport, you know, for two straight days. So uh, you can see what it means to, to us as individuals. So I just think some of those thoughts and some of those conversations, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this experience and, you know, and, and really having watched uh, the MLS thing be very successful for, in my opinion, with, with, the, with the health and safety of the players, with the event itself. We're starting, you know, and now with both the basketball leagues kicking off, it's just interesting uh, precedent that might be set. So uh, appreciate your perspective on that. And it'd be fun to talk about later, maybe when we get out of this uh, and, and see what yeah. it happens. Yeah, now, now you got my mind turning. So now I got, now I got well, to start thinking about that. Perfect. perfect. <laughs> you'll, be, uh, you'll be tweeting about it so we can uh, retweet. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, for one, would love – I've read uh, Debbie Antonelli's uh, articles and her push for getting to Vegas, but I would love first and second round to be at, you know, the top – 16 you know ranked teams that's great but like have the regional finals thursday friday saturday sunday all in vegas and then you can rotate a final four like i don't know i think that would be pretty cool i know i'd be in attendance uh hopefully one day i'd get a coach there as well but uh anyway okay rachel real quick i'm gonna go rapid fire with you okay WNBA questions here we go player of the year Grant stewart Rookie of the year. Mm, I'm not going very rapid, am I? Um, ugh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go against my original thought. I'm gonna go Kennedy Carter. Okay. Coach of the year. Uh, um, James Wade. Okay. Your WNBA finals. Seattle Storm and Chicago Sky. Ooh, who do you have winning it? The Storm. All right. That's all I got. You got it, Brian. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Of course. Well, Rachel, um, before we, we send you off, um, so what, what are your hot topic items, you know, for you working, you know, the end of summer, obviously, and, you know, we're all representing kind of the hats we wear as well. And, and I know, you know, for Pepperdine, you know, they're, they're pushing – you know, towards, you know, getting athletes back on campus and, and, you know, our conference has kind of punted, uh, not postponed or canceled, but just kind of delayed it a little bit to make that happen. So what, what are, what are you looking for in terms of the collegiate realm? Um, what are you looking forward to? What are, what are the areas that you're 
either concerned about or, or maybe that you want to, you know, want us to keep an eye on? I think for me, I mean, typically right now I would be in Europe for the next, you know, or would, would have already been there for the next, you know, month having an opportunity to do what I do in terms of just evaluating um, international talent. So that's not happening. So things are a little different for me from that standpoint, but um, you know, staying here and, and the focus really goes towards the W the WNBA. Um, that will always be, not always, I don't want to say always, but that's a hobby for me. You know, that's um, that's just a passion and, and obviously it's basketball. So any, any platform that I have to kind of um, help with that or analyze that or just build discussion with that, I'm always going to do. Who knows, you know, y'all been seeing me breaking news sometimes and that's just a little fun thing I like to do. Um, but in terms of the, um, from a professional aspect, you know, continue the conversation, these types of conversations. I think I've got more time to do that now. Um, I'm really, really focused on go global and the international piece. And right now, um, this 2020 class is a huge one because a lot of them, um, it's a constant state of questions <laughs> and it's hard to really facilitate. You know, I've got, you know, 20, 25 kids that are signed and coming over. Well, we were working on embassy appointments for them and some of their embassy appointments weren't originally until January. Well, now that the borders have opened up, we got them pushed up. And so we have embassy appointments that they're doing right now. So a lot of them have flights booked. They're ready to come over. But there's a ton of concern, you know, about how is each university going to implement um, their precautions? What's the safety like? And so I have to fill a role of helping just to <laughs> relay that information. And that's not a cut and dry answer. Every state, every university, every conference looks different. And that is changing every day. So most of my time is going to go towards that um, and helping this 2020 class, um, you know, get over here safe. And as we learn more and more about a season and a school year, what that looks like. Um, I think we all can agree that we're all existing in that space right now, but, um, and then helping the 21s and the 22s and these younger kids get recruited. And, and that's a little more normal uh, outside of probably not being able to take an official visit like they normally would, but um, you know, helping them just make decisions and get connected to the right coaches and um, you know, work on their, their game. And so that's, that's what I'm doing now. Um, and then as we move into, you know, the fall, um, I typically love to go see my kids play. <laughs> um, you know, I love to kind of travel around and go catch some of my, my clients play and, and check out different teams and we'll see, you know, we'll see what that travel aspect looks like. I mean, that, that's going to come later down the road, depending on how the season looks, when, when the season starts, um, the precautions that come into play. So it's, it's weird. I'm such a planner. Um, so I've, I've had to be forced to operate in a space of you can only plan a couple days out uh, and you have to get out of your comfort zone with that. Um, and I've, I've definitely grown from that standpoint, but um, I'm here um, just doing everything I can to grow women's basketball from a professional standpoint, but also um, through the recruiting point and just giving everybody as much intention as I can while staying safe. Well, you're doing a great job. You you got fans of ours, and and I know you got fans all across the country and in the world. But uh, we might we might have to hold you to all these picks. I mean, if you're going to be a, you know an analyst, I mean, we're you, you need to be at least above 500. So we're gonna we're gonna log it, and and maybe we'll do a a live finals uh, um, 
analysis type of thing, you know, where we can go live and have you analyze the game as, as it goes. So, and I got to tell you, you're the first ones that have actually like forced me to answer those questions. I've been really close to the chest with kind of my opinion. And so now it's out there and I guess I have to stick to it. So there it is. <laughs> I'll hold you to it. <laughs> well, thank you again, Rachel, uh, Rachel Galligan. Um, we, we will have you back for sure, but thank you for everything you're doing for our game. Thanks guys. I appreciate being here. All right, welcome back from the bench uh, as we wrap up the segment today. Great guest today, and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to Rachel and get her insights. Uh, I want to throw out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out to, to, to Gav to go with first. Uh, she brought up sort of the bookend of careers. Uh, we've got the older players, Stewie and Sue. We've got the younger players, and we've got the opportunity players. What, what kind of messaging does that send maybe to the, our level of, of you know, what, what opportunities and, and what those look like and how to be ready to take advantage of, of them? I, I just kind of throw that out as a general idea. And, and what kind of can that messaging be that we can maybe translate down to our kids? Well, I think from a coaching perspective, you know, if, you, if you're there to help facilitate and get your players continuing to work towards a goal or dream of theirs. Um, you know, we have a player right now with the Minnesota Lynx, Megan Huff, who got her debut last night in a game. Um, and she's one of those opportunity players. Uh, she would have had to, in a normal year, bust her tail to make a roster. And maybe she made it, maybe she wouldn't have. But she gets that opportunity just two years after graduating college. So I think it's it's a great opportunity. Uh, point to make when you guys are you know when we are talking to these athletes and trying to help them get there it's like you know keep your head down stay ready prepare like you know this is your opportunity now so you don't have to get ready when an opportunity presents itself um and you know with a condensed season uh, i saw the stat where in between 18 to 15 of their games are off one day rest like, that's tough. So you're going to definitely see the older players get a little bit more rest, the younger players kind of thrown into the fire, and then those opportunity players are going to get minutes. It just It's going to happen. So you're going to see those players take advantage or maybe fall by the wayside with the opportunity they've been given because they're going to get some run. And, you know, the coaches that handle, I believe, handle that bench utilization the best over the course of those 22 games – are going to be the ones healthy come playoff time um, when it's time to really, you know, play for the championship and try to advance those teams that are the most healthiest are probably going to go the farthest. And you said it too, like opportunity. I mean, we all know inside our sport, Jackie Jamelis' story right there. And to me, that just uh, resonates. Uh, and I hope that that kid can just be a, be a name brand this in this little window, just mm -hmm. because her story should be front and center should be the face of, Take advantage of opportunity. Do not quit. Do not let adversity kick you in your butt. And when you think it stinks, you get your roll your sleeve up and you keep going. Like that kid needs to, I mean, if she doesn't have a public speaking career after whenever she decides she's going to quit playing, I don't know who should because that kid, that story right there is, is incredible. I agree. Yeah. Anybody that has five knee injuries and eight surgeries and, you know, and multiple ACL tears and is still out there doing what she does is, uh, is impressive. But I definitely agree with you on some of those players with opportunities. I think Maisha Hines-Allen is a great story in the sense that 
you know, recruiting her out of high school, she was one of the best ball handlers in that class. And she's, you know, six, two. And, you know, she was the type of kid, like a Magic Johnson type of kid. And I think what you start to see in the game in the WNBA is more like an NBA game in a sense that there's just one post player in and everybody's trying to spread the floor out, you know, to create the best shot that you can get. And that's where I think those four players that, that can play and handle the ball. So like Maisha, Heinz Allen, like a um, Gabby uh, Williams in, in Chicago. I think you've got these kids and even Stewie, you know, and, and that are, can play that four position for you and can handle the ball, you know, are like a Draymond Green type of player for, for the women's game. So I think when you see the spacing that that allows teams to have, I'm, you know, you're really not surprised by Maisha Hines-Allen. She didn't have to play that way when she was at Louisville um, because of their talent level that they had. So they, she didn't have to play that way maybe as off the bench as a first year. But now with Elena not being there, gives her an opportunity to show kind of what she's good at and what she can do. So I think, you know, even Monique Billings is, is an example of that as well. And she had a 30-point game taking advantage of matchups and being able to handle the ball at that four spot. So – Neka Gumake is another example. You know, Shanae when she's playing. I mean, so that position is becoming more and more important, especially with perimeter skills. So you're going to see kids jumping in. And, and if you can make shots, I don't care what league it is. If you can make shots, you're going to get some – get an opportunity to play. And the other side of that is if you can defend and rebound, Sylvia Fowles, congratulations again on becoming the all-time league rebounder in WNBA history, who can also score, obviously. But, but you can find jobs. So – and that, I agree, just trickles down from WNBA to college to high school. Whatever you find your job, do it well, and, uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunity when it comes to you. Well, I think, I think that's, the, that's the most important thing. I mean, as, as college coaches, right, like is trying to figure out how to show our players maybe success stories. I mean, for us, it's Courtney Vandersloot. Right. And she's playing. She's probably the best she's ever been because she she's knocking down shots from the outside, which she wasn't doing in college. She understands, you know, defense and how to just kind of maneuver the offensive player, which she wasn't really good at in college. But she's grown into this. And I think as as our players develop and, and go through their careers, it's trying to find you know, hey, how can I fill a void for one specific team or whatnot or or what's out there? let that wedge be the wedge and then grow from there, you know? And so I think that, you know, development is the most important thing. Even these pros are doing it and they, they have to continue doing it or else they're going to quote unquote, lose their job, right? Literally lose their job. So um, thank you again for, for joining us uh, for another week. Uh, we enjoyed Rachel again, and, and we're going to have her back until next time from the bench. We will see you.